Max Wren is a sleazy TV producer who runs a channel that specializes in sex and violence, everything you can't get anywhere else. When he stumbles onto a pirated TV signal that's so vile, so reprehensible, and so realistic he can't ignore it, Max becomes obsessed with finding the source of this signal and capitalizing on it. But he finds out this signal is a government brainwashing project, and he's the latest test subject in David Cronenberg's 1983 cult classic, Videodrome. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Bouget. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the 141st episode of the Filmgasm podcast. Today we're going back into, into the twisted mind of David Cronenberg to discuss a divisive, controversial horror flick, Videodrome. Uh, the last time we talked Cronenberg was when Austin and I did The Brood back in episode 81, which was followed by a bonus episode on Dead Ringers in episode 82. So it's been a minute since we've talked Cronenberg. Uh, Videodrome, what are your first first thoughts here? First thoughts. Uh, it's one of my more favorite of his. Um, unfortunately, I've not. I haven't done like a super deep dive in Cronenberg. I've only seen a couple of his stuff. Yeah. But um, what I've seen, it's, it's. I like it a lot. I think it really like. I always say like to me, this and the fly. You really see like uh, a maturation, a sophistication, a sophistication to his technique when it comes to like the social commentary and the body horror and just everything he's known for. I find in this and the fly to be at like to me his peak at his best i agree with you there um i like the fly a lot more than i like videodrome and scanners i'm with you too i haven't really done a huge dive into cronenberg but i've seen i feel like enough to talk about him Mm. um i i get the social commentary i like that the visual effects and makeup are fucking spectacular he really is like so lights out in that department uh I just think Videodrome is a way tougher film to get into than, say, The Fly. Uh, this is my second viewing of Videodrome, and honestly, I, I, I don't think I'm going back for a third. Okay, well, I, I see what you're saying, but like, I, I do see because in the case of like the the main difference between really the two, the main difference between two of them is that you know Videodrome was an original ideal from him. Yeah. So much like Rabbit, The Brood. Uh, Shivers, it was like his original idea was the fly was a remake, essentially. I mean, it was a remake. So it's, you know, he started to play within a certain sandbox. He very much did his own thing with the fly, and it's fucking awesome for it. But he started to play within a sandbox that made it easier for people to get into that. And I think that also, I want to say came out around time, he was doing a lot more like, quote unquote, mainstream stuff, like the dead zone and whatnot so you're kind of seeing a different side of Cronenberg than what we saw when he first started um or was, yeah video drone is very much in line with like just purely from this man's mind that might explain why it's not my cup of tea because I really like the dead zone I really like the fly I didn't like scanners and I didn't like video drones so maybe I just don't like his original stuff because I don't know the brood was that was that him full on yeah was that an adept well, that's weird because I love that movie. That movie, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, the breed was. Uh, I want to say it was his debut, but yeah, I don't think his... it was his debut. I think it was because I think he'd done Rabbit and Shivers already. Is it Rabbit and Shivers first? Yeah, I think so. I've seen Rabbit and Shivers. I've I haven't fortunately not seen the Brood yet. I'm the opposite. I haven't seen Rabbit or Shivers, but the Brood is a scary fucking movie. That is really well done. Uh. That was a fun episode. Yeah, that's that's one that's actually really up on my list to see next when it comes to Cronenberg. That one I want to see next. I, I Dead Ringers is okay. Have you seen Dead Ringers? No, I've heard of it. And I've heard it's okay. I it I want to come out during that. It sounds like it's one of those films that came out during his like what I call his okay period where people didn't seem too impressed yeah. by what he was coming out with. So not really a horror movie it's more of a psychological thriller jeremy irons is great you know playing twins but not a very tight story and very uh kind of underwhelming yeah well i mean he i want to say like after like the 80s he kind of starts stepping away from like what i like poor 
horror films and kind of experimenting a lot more with our autonomous, which I get. I mean, he he wanted to try new things, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, obviously, if he ever, I think I heard those rumblings, he might be coming back to the horror genre yeah. for a movie. And if that's the case, fuck yeah, give me some more body horror, Cronenberg. Well, it seems like his son is carrying on the legacy, you know, uh, Brandon Cronenberg, I believe. Uh, yeah. Like Possessor, for example, I think made some waves. That was a very uh, off-the-wall movie that I thought was pretty entertaining and very original. I unfortunately haven't watched what his son's done. Um, one day I'm going to sit there and do a back-to-backs of Antiviral and Possessor. Because I heard good things about Antiviral, but that was a little bit more of a quiet like genre thing i was hearing about and it seems like possessor became like the big hit one for him yeah that's what i heard as well uh so before we dig further into videodrome let's take a look at yet another toxic avenger update on the rewind just a week after the news that elijah wood had been cast as the villain in the upcoming toxic avenger remake uh turns out nope that's not it's not happening uh in truth veteran character actor Kevin Bacon has been cast as the villain. Uh, I don't want to say it's an improvement, uh, but it does make me a little bit more excited. I would have been down for either one. I mean, obviously, like everyone else on the team, most film fans, I love Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, having him attached, I know he seems to be in recent interviews, he sounds like he's very keen on doing genre stuff again. He, you know, he had that show the following that lasted two seasons and um he uh has been adamant about coming back to the tremors franchise in some way so it sounds like he's interested in genre so it does get me excited that we got him to be the villain for toxic avenger remake but at the same time like elijah wood would have been cool because he's a very big supporter of um horror especially the indie scene of horror so he's a massive fan it would have been cool to have him plus i'm just an unabashed fan of elijah wood i support post photo career with him all the time oh yeah i love both these guys uh, i think just for me when i hear villain i know that you know elijah wood was fantastic in sin city but kevin bacon has played some phenomenal villains in the past like 20 years i mean just look at x-men first class his role as sebastian shaw was so sadistic and really showed like to me a new side of the guy so i i i'm i'm more i think excited to see him tackle this role and you know they're you know they're still early production who's to say elijah wood won't you know, end up playing somebody else. He, he's excited about this. He might, you know, with all this news, he might get something. Yeah. I mean, I'd be down for both. Because like I said, they both have proven to be really good villains. I mean, Kevin Bacon's obviously, he's more experienced. He's older. He's been game longer. So he's probably going to give us something we won't expect from Bacon. That would be really enriching. But like you said, I mean, with Elijah Wood, you got Sin City. You had the Maniac remake. Where to me, he played really good. Like, he really nailed villains. And I would have loved to see him continue that in Toxic Avenger. Um, but again, like if they can get him in some capacity attached where he's maybe like an underling to Bacon's overall villain or something, that would be fine with me, you know? Yeah. Um, again, if you want to hear uh, my thoughts, Austin's thoughts, and Josh's thoughts on the Toxic Avenger, uh, check out our back catalog, episode 98, I believe. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Love when that happens. Yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic on this remake. Um, I know Kevin Smith was attached at one point to direct, and he left because he was having arguments about the direction. Like, he was determined it needs to go on the route of the original film. And the studio sounded like they weren't keen on that. So I don't know how to feel because there has been rumblings about who wants what a certain way. And... Hopefully they give us something that's more in line with the original. Um, that's what I hope. Um, Tug of war films never work out when you've got the film, you know, the director and the studio just pushing and pulling to get their vision on board. Nobody's happy. Yeah. And you know what? If ultimately it doesn't happen, we don't, it's not what we want. Okay. Kaufman's been talking about a toxic Avenger five for a while. So if that doesn't happen, you know what? Let's just wait for Toxic Avenger 5. Hopefully it happens after um, Shakespeare's shitstorm. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about, but I, I'm excited for you. It's the new trauma film. 
Shakespeare's shit storm. That's the name of it. Interesting title. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Toxic Avenger remake. I feel like we're going to be talking about that a lot on the rewind going forward. Where any news is going to be trickling in. And uh, we'll be here to talk about it. Uh, Videodrome came from Cronenberg's childhood, <coughs> which is fucking crazy. Uh, late at night, after Canadian television had ended, he's Canadian, he would sometimes pick up pirated signals from Buffalo, New York. And these signals would sometimes be greedy, like gritty, disturbing, you know, porno, weird shit from local TV stations. And these visuals never left his mind. And thanks to the success of Scanners, Cronenberg was able to secure studio funding for Videodrome. He actually turned down uh, Return of the Jedi to do Videodrome. It was a passion project of his. No fucking way. Can you imagine David Cronenberg's Star Wars? <laughs> I would have loved that. <laughs> God, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, career-wise, you know, probably not the best move. But then again, Videodrome did establish him as a, a horror filmmaker who could really do off-the-wall shit. So maybe if he hadn't if he'd done Jedi, he might never have got that reputation. He may have never done The Fly. Yeah, I don't want to live in a world where we don't have the fly. Yeah, honestly, the fly is hands down one of the probably one of the best remakes of all time. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, personally, Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie, so I, I like it just as it is. Yeah, I honestly like a lot of people hate on Return of the Jedi, but I'm like, look, after the the prequel trilogy and this god awful sequel trilogy we just went through, is it really that bad, guys? Like, I'm sorry that the Ewoks are adorable. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get that, you know, fans are a little upset about how cutesy it is, but you've got, you know, an epic opening at Jabba's Palace, the whole Sarlacc pit scene. You've got Vader confronting, you know, Luke confronting Vader, Vader's redemption, the Emperor, like the second Death Star attack. How do you not love that shit? It's great. You have not, I want to sound like a pig for a second, but you do have the famous bikini. I want to say it. You got the famous bikini. I know. I said There, I said it. But yeah, I don't. And when people say like, oh, it's too cutesy, I'm like, Okay. There, first off, let me start with this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with grown adults liking Star Wars. I like Star Wars, right? I love Star Wars. But they are not necessarily made for grown adults. Like they're meant for children to be able to watch. So yeah. so what if it's cutesy? The idea is that children can go watch these movies. Would I have enjoyed the original idea of a planet full of Wookiees taken on the Empire? Yes. Yes, I would very much so. Huh. Do the Ewoks piss me off? Not really, no. No. Because it's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie that is meant to be take your kids to. <laughs> and when did I first watch Return of the Jedi? When I was a kid. And I enjoyed the Ewoks. I was like, cute teddy bears fighting the bad guys. This is great. I yeah. mean, yeah, I got no beef with Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Based on what I'm saying, it's like, stop bitching that a family movie is cutesy. <laughs> it's a family movie. What do you want? Oh, yeah. Star Wars could have been Cronenberg. So just imagine what that would look like. Not family. <laughs> you imagine how grotesque the Sarlacc would have looked. God. Yeah. I mean, the practical effects would have been amazing. Yes. Yes. They and would so George Lucas, you know, remastered it like five times. It's not the point, though. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, there was no you know, roaring no when Vader chucked the Emperor into the Death Star reactor that he somehow would survive 30, 40 years later. Can um, you imagine all the people that have, like, had those original VHS copies that are just, like, hitting themselves on the head now? Like, we had it before it was unedited. Well, those are worth a mint now. An unedited version of Star Wars, that is, like, a collector's item that is really sought after. So if you've got that, hold on to it. <laughs> Yeah, again, you know, if you have physical media, just hold on to it. Because apparently it does pay off in the end. If you want to watch Star Wars the way it should have been made to begin with. We did have it. But then when we moved to Texas, uh, my family threw away all their tapes. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't know about how collectible those were till we moved. And I was like, where are our tapes? And they're like, oh, we threw those away. No. <laughs> ah. It's a uh, for me, my Goosebumps books, I had all the Goosebumps books, and I don't have them anymore. My parents did something with them, and I didn't realize how hard it is to get them with the uh, 
the original covers now because apparently we need these new covers that are absolute <laughs> shit. Oh yeah. I will never forgive my fifth grade teacher for telling my mom that I needed to read different stuff. I needed to branch out because then my mom stopped buying me goosebumps. That was all I was reading in fifth grade. I mean, they all should have just been happy. I was reading anything, right? Yeah. What? Look, man, I'm, I'm used to the whole like, Oh, you should read, but don't read goosebumps or Harry Potter. What's wrong with you? That is meant for the, that is the devil's books. I'm like, shut up. I like these books. Yeah. The devil is way more entertaining. <laughs> so much more entertaining. <laughs> oh boy. Um, David Cronenberg, a revered name in the horror community. Uh, we've already talked about a lot of his films, Scanners, The Brood, Rabid, Shivers, The Dead Zone, The Fly. But he's also done a number of non-horror projects, such as A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, A Dangerous Method, and Cosmopolis. So he's kind of a, you know, renaissance man. I mean, History of Violence and Eastern Promises are two really good crime thrillers. Uh, and then it's been a long time since I saw The Dead Zone. I always forget he, he did that. Yeah, I it's funny because I didn't even like I didn't know about the movie at first when I was a kid. My grandma was a big fan of the TV show they did after. I remember that. Yeah. I think on USA Network or something. I remember like going over nine and she, seasons. I mean, that thing was a beast. Yeah, I would go over. Look, when I went over to my grandma's house, it was here on Monk or the Dead Zone. Okay. <laughs> like those are the two shows I saw all the time at her house. Um, so that's was my what I always associated with was like, oh yeah, the TV show, the dead zone. And it took me years to realize, oh shit, there's a movie. That was made first by Cronenberg and starring Christopher Walken. It's like that sounds way more entertaining. Well, I mean, how do you stretch a 200-page book into a nine-season TV show? <laughs> they figured it out somehow. Uh, fun fact: at HEB, uh, my local grocery store in Texas, you can get the complete series of The Dead Zone for about fifty bucks, uh, which is an oddball thing for them to have. Wait, fifty bucks for a nine-season show? The whole damn thing in like that clamshell case that all the TV shows seem to come in these days. I mean, I don't want it. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to watch that. I'm just saying like, it sounds like no one wants it. If you're selling a nine season show for 50 bucks. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been there for a long time. <laughs> uh, the movie, however, pretty decent adaptation of the book. I think it's creepy. It's uh really well done. A little too freaky considering, you know, King himself said like he wasn't trying to predict the Trump administration, but <laughs> it just happened that way. Uh, yeah, I'd like to revisit that dead zone. Um, I haven't seen a dangerous method or Cosmopolis um, dangerous method. I wanted to see because it's uh, Viggo Mortensen and Michael Fassbender playing Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And that just sounds fascinating. It does. I unfortunately have not seen his non-horror stuff. I've heard amazing things um, about Eastern Promises and History of Violence. Those are the two I keep hearing about that are like really, really good. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Like Post-Lord of the Rings, those were the movies that Viggo Mortensen like proved how really versatile he was as an actor. Good stuff. Yeah. No, I'll definitely check them out. Like I, I like Cronenberg. Like, you know, even outside of his horror, like just like I said, we'll get more into it with this movie and why I like him so much. He's just, he's a talented director, very talented writer, director. So. I agree. Um, Oscar nominee James Woods plays Max Wren, sleazy TV producer turned brainwashed assassin. Woods was nominated for his performances in 1986's Salvador and 1996's Ghosts of Mississippi. He's also appeared in such films as Vampires, The Virgin Suicides, Any Given Sunday, Contact, Casino, and he's the voice of Hades in Disney's Hercules and pretty much anything Hercules has, I mean, uh, Hades has ever popped in on. Video games, TV shows, it's always James Woods. It's like his favorite role he's ever done. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, who else would you cast as a sleazebag? I mean, he does it better than anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, he's, he's really good in this. I actually really like James Wood in this movie, James Woods in this movie. He's really good in this, I like his character a lot. Um, I actually, it took me, I was, the whole Hercules thing, I was like one of those main things that as I got older and I was learning about actors, I was like, oh, that's the same guy that voices Hercules. <laughs> Not Hercules, uh, Hades, sorry. That voices Hades. I was like, oh, hey, 
Um, and then I finally didn't put a face to his name for years until I saw the Straw Dogs remake. And he plays like the trunk coach in that movie. And I was like, oh shit, that's him right there. There's James Woods. <laughs> um, oh, going back to Cronenberg real quick. I forgot Cronenberg was in Jason X also in a cameo, which was awesome. He was. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, James Woods. Funny, Hercules has such a great voice cast that people forget like how many people were in that. James Woods, you know, Danny DeVito, Rip Torn, Bobcat Goldthwait. It's weird. I'm actually surprised Disney let them in that. They're so determined on their family-friendly image that you would think they'd be like, nah, do not get the guy from Videodrome <laughs> well, in this movie. I remember reading that, like, the original Hades was, like, your typical, you know, bow before me, kind of grandiose, evil bad guy. And then James Woods auditioned and basically played him like a talk show host. And they were like, we like that. And so they kept him. I mean, he ad-libbed a lot of his dialogue. He was just kind of like, you know, vamping. All right. And it works. Like Hades is funny because he's just kind of like, you know, doesn't it's almost like he doesn't take himself too seriously like the rest of the gods. He's just kind of like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but he's also a you know a bastard who's trying to take over the world. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad it worked out. Like I said, usually Disney looks at their past careers like, oh, they did this. Like I know uh on a episode of the movie crypt I was listening to uh I think I was telling you Serena Vincent from Cabin Fever. Mm-hmm. She had issues getting role on a Disney show. Because they were like, were you in that movie Cabin Fever and you got naked and had sex? And it's like, holy shit. She was in her 20s when that was on, that came out. She's now in her 40s. Yeah, it's a movie. She's, I'm like, this Disney, come on. We're all talking about like 2021, right? Diversity and all this shit that you guys want in movies nowadays, which is good. Maybe not say like, because you did this in your prior roles as an actor. You can't be in our family-friendly show. All that, but Tim Allen can get busted for, like, you know, massive amounts of coke at an airport, and he still gets to be Santa Claus? Yeah. <laughs> it uh, it bugs me. It's like, for some people, they forgive, and then others are like, well, you did this, and it's like, well, we're actors. Like, we accept roles for money. Well, I think it's different with voice talent because, you know, kids aren't going to see their face they're not going to be like you know watching cabin fever and being like that's the person from that movie i don't know in what situation that would even happen <laughs> but that's i'm assuming what they're afraid of you know kids are yeah. going to identify these actors with evil stuff and kids can't know about bad stuff in disney world yeah even disney does some fucked up their movies but yeah it, it bugs me a lot i'm like so you yeah it's like you assume that me like, look, I know now I know all this shit, but you think at five I was watching Hercules going, hey, this is a guy from Videodrome. No, I didn't know what Videodrome was at five years old. I know that at like 15, I was thinking, oh, that's the voice of the guy at the beginning of Scary Movie too," Because that was like my for like real introduction to James Woods as an actor, not a voice actor. Scary Movie too, where he plays the like douchebag priest at the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about him, and he's really funny in that opening. Hilarious. Like, when he just walks in, and he sees, like, you know, the girl turn her head around, he just goes, fuck this, and, like, tries to leave. <laughs> I, oh, I die every time. And he keeps trying to have sex with her. Yeah. Father! <laughs> oh, it's fucked up. So fucked up. I like when he, like, he welches on the, like, he, he uh, leaves the, the cab. Like he doesn't pay the cab fare, he just like runs into the house. <laughs> oh, I think that's under an underrated film. It's stupid as hell, but it, it's funny as hell. Oh, the first two, are, the ones the Marlins are attached. Oh, the Wayans are attached here. So fucking good. I don't care if people say the Wayans are actually good at like parody movies. I agree. I agree. Um, Sonia Smits plays Bianca Oblivion, resistance leader who turns Max to her side. Uh, Smith's also appeared in the film Owning Mahoney, um, as well as a lot of TV. And she's barely in this. Like, she's second build, but, like, barely in it. I don't really... I got really nothing to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I saw a review, and I do agree in that, like, a lot of the characters outside of James Woods don't pop. But I don't know if that's necessarily... Like, it almost seems like that's by design because it's really meant to be, like, a James Woods feature as far as, like, it's his story and it's just kind of in it. And it's up to you to question, like, 
are they control like who's controlling him? Why are they? You know what I mean? Like it's almost like up to you, the audience, to put a lot of that, ask a lot of those questions, and try to answer them as you're watching James Woods' character. I think that's why he pops so much because it's mainly meant to be his movie. Yeah, there's some truth to that, but I just I, like why bring these people in at all? I mean, why why not you know delegate? I mean, I feel like you could you know combine some characters here and still get through with the same story, which I think is bare bones. I think that the story is really the worst part here. And, you know, I know that probably horror fans out there are really tired of me saying that, but that's just, you know, I'm wired that way to go to focus story first. I can't do anything about that. Yeah, I know. I, I'm aware. I'm one of those horror fans, actually. <laughs> just enjoy the ride, Connor. Gosh. I'm trying. Believe me, I'm trying. <laughs> I like, I love the fly. I don't, you know, discount Cronenberg. I just didn't like scanners or Videodrome. <laughs> um, Debbie Harry plays Nikki Brand, masochist in training. I mean, she was fucking crazy. Uh, she's the lead singer and songwriter of the new wave rock band Blondie. As an actress, she's appeared in such films as Hairspray, Animorph and Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, among others, most of the time as Deborah Harry. And uh, she's completely insane in this movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, hot, like really hot. Oh, yeah, she's super hot. Uh, yeah, no, she actually, I thought she was really good. She was a good counterpoint to um, Woods' character. And up until, like, you know, the whole twist at the end. Until she fucking vanishes halfway through the movie. Like, yeah. I was hoping for her to be kind of, you know, like you said, the counterpoint, but then she just disappears. And you see Yeah, but then it was like the whole twist is what actually happened to her that actually kind of works for me. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen her anything else because um, I haven't not watched Tales from the Dark Side of the movie because I don't really like the show. And I know I'm probably going to get some pretty fun text later, but I stand on that mountain. You, you, just, not a, you just can't stop shooting yourself in the foot, can you? No. <laughs> Twilight Zone's better, okay? I, I don't, I never, I, I have tried watching Tales from the Dark Side so many times, I just can't get into it. I like the other ones. I like Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone, like all the other ones. Could not get into that one. I like the Ice Cube song, Tales from the Dark Side. I've never seen the show. And I know they have nothing to do with one another, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Are you trying to save yourself now? Is that what you're trying to do? So I, just I have it. nothing to say. Josh knows exactly how much of a novice I am, and he's cool with that. <laughs> he expects more from you. <laughs> I've noticed. I've noticed. You know, he totally <laughs> fell asleep on the second movie last Friday on Joe Bob's last drive-in, just saying. <sighs> There's another bullet right in that foot. Uh, <laughs> I want to do it on purpose. I am looking. I, I'm looking forward to that text. <laughs> you, uh, you a Blondie fan? I like a couple of their songs. I'm not a, like a, a big time fan, but I, I'm, I like a couple of their songs I've heard before. You know? Yeah, me too. Not really. Like I'll, you know, if it comes on the radio, I'll leave it on. But I'm not really a, you know, massive fan. Yeah, but I get it. I'm not, not going to seek Blondie out in my free time. Uh, which I know is kind of saying something because most people be like, but you listen to Cannibal Coles freely. Yes, I do. I know. But uh, yeah, I'll listen. Uh, yeah, they're hit songs I like. Yeah. You more of a Call Me guy or a Heart of Glass guy? Heart of Glass. Yeah, more of a Call Me guy. I like that song. Uh. And that was just in The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. See how all this shit wraps around each other? It's great. <laughs> um, Peter Dvorsky plays Harlan, Max's friend, who is secretly a government plant. Dvorsky has also appeared in such films as The Dead Zone, Twins, and Casual Sex before his death in 2019 at 70 years old from undisclosed reasons. Uh, I like Harlan in this. I think he's a shit. But I get, it. I get it. Yeah, he's a shit. Uh, he has a couple of funny lines though. Like I did, I did crack up when you know he calls him into his bedroom. <laughs> he's like, Go in there, and take pictures of what you see on my bed. And he's just like, I'm like, why am I here, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
funny how he freaked out about like going to the studio. He's like, fuck you. I'm not at your beck and call. And he's like, All right. like, why would he have that argument if he is secretly like there for the feds? <laughs> like, what's the point of that argument? I don't know. Because honestly, like up until that, like the first time watching it, up until that twist, I didn't if I would have been the same. Like, I'm not. No, dude, no. It's like, I'll be there at the regular schedule time. You want to go get some coffee because you woke me up at an ungodly hour. <laughs> I love that he finds a body in his bed and his first instinct is, I got to call my coworker to take pictures. That And then the house is like the little scene when he's like finally getting him out the door. And he's like, hey, do you want some? Nope, nope. I'll see you in an hour. Go. <laughs> I'm about to offer the man, the nice thing, right? Offer the man you just woke up some coffee. And you're like, yeah, no, fuck you. Go get it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Leslie Carlson plays Barry Convex, the head of the Videodrome Project. Carlson has also appeared in such films as The Dead Zone, A Christmas Story, The Fly, and Black Christmas before his death in 2014 at 81 years old from cancer. He is the guy who sells uh, Ralphie's family their Christmas tree. (laughs) Oh, I I didn't draw that. I didn't realize yeah. that. I've seen this film twice now. <laughs> ah, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. He clearly worked with Cronenberg uh, a lot. Dead Zone, The Fly, Videodrome. Yeah. And he's a good bad guy. Yeah, yeah, he was a he's a good bad guy. I like him in uh, in this one. Yeah, real shit. I think he's got like his death is pretty is one of the most impressive. Feats of makeup effects of the 80s I've ever seen. <laughs> I wanted more. I was so into it. I was like, can I just see what's going to keep happening then? <laughs> uh, Videodrome has an IMDb score of 7.2, Rotten Tomato score of 78%. It was a box office bomb at the time, grossing only $2 million on a budget of $5 million. It's since been reclaimed as a cult classic. Uh, good, for, good for the movie. Good for fans. Uh, so let's talk some highlights here. Interesting. Good for fans, as if someone's not a fan. No, I've I've, I've been I'm I'm hiding nothing. <laughs> I I did not really like this. Second viewing, my first viewing was for fun back in 2019, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And here we are with the podcast, and I'm still, what the fuck is this? <laughs> ah, um. One thing I thought was cool at the beginning of the film, there's a poster in Max's apartment that looks a lot like the poster for Possessor. You notice that? No, because I'm not familiar with the poster for Possessor too much. Because it's like a something white... was gone when that came out. Oh yeah. It's sorry. It's like a white face with it's like a little elongated, it's clearly a mask. And there's a poster next to Max's fridge that has a very similar face. And I think that, you know, it might've been Brandon Cronenberg, maybe throwing some homage to his dad. Just, just a thought. I could be completely wrong here. That's just I mean, what it looked like to me. It could be from what I've read about uh, his son is that he does do a lot of body horror also with his two movies. So yeah. it sounds like he's definitely influenced heavily by his dad's style, which is fine. It sounds like he he's influenced by doing his own thing, so it could be his way of homaging his his dad. I think the apple falls very far from that freaky looking tree. <laughs> um, so this movie kind of brings up the idea that you know violence in media influences violence in real life, and this is a concept that's been argued ever since you know film was ever since fucking books were written. Mm. I'm interested to hear your thoughts because personally, I think no. Yeah, uh, I'm actually about this because this was one of my biggest notes and what I feared would be a kind of big talking point when I can't when I was mentioning the social commentary with the film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Cronenberg again. You know, not to I'm going to throw shade at the ner- these newer films that aren't doing a good job of balancing, in my opinion, story and commentary. Okay, he does it really well here. Where there is, I know for you it was bare bones, but you know there was a story. <laughs> With a social commentary of, like you said, does the sex and violence that we are seeing in TVs and seeing in movies influence us, make us want to do stuff like this? I think no. I think you're already, like, fucked up in the head a little bit if you're going to watch this shit and then recreate it. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean, like, I'm not, this is not shot at, at like, with mental disorders. 
I'm just saying that you may have already been predisposed to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and it, it's cool that this came out in 83 and that he was making this statement because this was like right when the slasher craze was starting to peak and that question was being asked more and more and more. Uh, and, you know, with, and then metal music of the 80s with the satanic panic. So this was being asked on all media fronts, like, is this affecting children? And for Cronenberg to come out with a movie and be like, well, is it? Because he doesn't provide really an answer. There's no clear answer. He wants you to answer that. And um, it's a it's a commentary to me that's very relevant today. Because, um, I mean, even as, like, when we were kids, right, growing up with the torture point era, you saw the, the same questions got brought up when Hostel and Saw and Devil's Rejects, the remakes like Hills Have Eyes and Chainsaw Massacre were coming out, and they were going back to that brutal in-your-face violence. And they was getting asked again, is this going to affect our kids? I'm like, no, it's, it's not. I was like, because guess what? Those ratings. You're an adult. Don't take your kids to go see these movies. Exactly. That's exactly, you know, to me, it is all personal accountability. You know, if you don't want your kid watching these movies, don't fucking show them the movies. It's got nothing to do with the studios. It's got nothing to do with the public. It's up to you as a parent to determine what your kid watches. Right. And like, look, I'm like, like kind of like drop. Sorry, I have loud fucking neighbors. Uh, like, uh, uh, you know, Josh was talking about censorship. You know, like, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of the ratings because it's very biased. Like, one minute they'll be fine with, like, all this violence in a movie, but then, like, God bless you, show a, a boob, you know? Or, yeah, you can put all the sex you want, but we don't want you cutting some dude's head off. Holy, no. Like, they're very biased on what the hell they deem is okay. But with that said, it exists. We're not getting rid of the MPA anytime soon. It's going to stay. Um, yeah, being an adult, if you if if you don't think it's appropriate for your kid to see this movie, don't let your kid see this movie. If you're an adult that thinks your kid might commit violent fucking acts based off movies, you might want to fucking take your kid to goddamn therapy or a doctor or something to figure out yeah. what the fuck's wrong with your kid and then. Exactly. If your kid, you know, watches, you know, somehow like, watches older brother play Grand Theft Auto or something, and then like, you know, wants to wants to run somebody over, that's not the video game's fault. That's a disturbed child who needs to be taught right and wrong as soon as possible. And otherwise, you're going to end up with you know, fucking school shooter or something. That's what happens. Yeah, like, 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 like for me, for example, I know it's like always not the best argument. Like, well, let me take myself for example, but I'm doing it here, okay? <laughs> I grew up, you know, I read Goosebumps and I watched the TV show. I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? I've been happily watching the two revival seasons they did of that show. Um, quick little shout out to those two seasons. Um, you know, I watched that. I was watching the horror films I was allowed to watch growing up. You know, again, I was the oldest, so my parents kind of strict us on me. But, you know, I did see things like Tremors and Hocus Pocus and whatnot, you know, but I could watch. Um, and it just went from there. When I became a teenager in the torture porn area, torture porn area, I was watching all those movies. I got into Stephen King when I was young and would read Stephen King. I played video. I played Grand Theft Auto. I'm going to really say my fucking age here and I'm only 28. I played Grand Theft Auto 3 Armored as they were fucking coming out because my buddy had them at his house. So I would go to his place and play fucking Grand Theft Auto. I'm talking three, San Andreas, Vice City, like fucking, yeah, that original run. So, yeah, there's my age for all you youngins out there. Very nice. Um, And now here I am, you know, I'm in the military. I haven't done any crime. I have no want to do any crimes or anything bad to people because I know that all that shit I've done, the video games and watching the movies, listening to my metal music, reading my books, it's all fake. It's not real. Well, you get on your music, but yeah. Um, I get you. You know, it, it's not real. It's a make-believe award they're giving me that I'm just entertained by. I get you. Dude, I was, um, I know a lot of this, um, the negative uh, response to this question, a lot of it comes from religion. A lot of it comes from, you know, holier-than-thou Bible thumpers who are like, what about the children? Well, I was raised in a religion-free household where my mom had me at a young age and kind of just made it up as she went along. And because of that, I was introduced to stuff 
a lot younger than I should have been. I, I acknowledge that. One of my earliest memories is watching Jaws when I was like four or five years old and not really understanding what's going on, but being like, this is, I probably shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> like I understood that at the time, but I watched, you know, Hellraiser, The Thing, like just really dark shit. And did it fuck me up? No, it didn't. It was weird and it freaked me out a little bit, but I didn't then become, you know, I wasn't torturing animals in the backyard because of it. Like, that's not how this works. Entertainment does not lead to warping people's minds like that. I mean, if a mind is already warped, it can reinforce that. And that's the shit you got to watch out for. But the movie or the video game or the book or the TV show is never the root cause. There's That's not. I firmly believe that. No. And like you said, if the mind, <clears throat> if the mind's already warped, it reinforces it. It's still not entertainment's fault i do not believe because they don't know they're not they're making this shit for mass audiences it's not like they know yeah it's like no again there's parent right you there's parents parents who exist out there if you have any inkling that your kids are warped and that movie is going to make him reinforce that there's a lot of services out there for children that isn't chuvy take your kid to it find out what the fuck's going on Exactly. I mean, you know, there's a movie made in 1965 called The Collector that has inspired no less than five different serial killers. Uh, Is that the movie's fault? I don't think so, because a lot of people saw that movie. A lot of people. I have not yet seen it. It is on my list, but it was up for like three Oscars. So, no, the movie is not the cause. Those fuckers saw it and thought, I want to kidnap women and hold them in a basement, and then they did it. It's got nothing to do with the movie. It's wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it's never the movie's fault. I mean, because if we listen to the Bible thumpers and the people that want to censor, we would not have nearly the amount of entertainment. We would. It would literally just be Disney movies all fucking day. And that's not a shot against Disney, but I want variety in my and movies. Those people go after Disney, too. Well, that's true. You go after Disney. You can't please these people. It's Veggie Tales and nothing else. Oh God, I didn't even like Veggie Tales when I was a kid. <laughs> oh my God! And I well, I'm glad out, we got that out of the way. Yeah, and I should point out real quick, just like you said, you were raised in a non-religious household. I was raised Catholic, in case anyone was wondering. So I was raised in a religious household, and yet I still catered more to the, this dark entertainment, if you will, than well, any religious stuff. I'm firmly a believer that just being a religious person does not automatically make you a moral person. I think morality and religion are very different things. You know, I was raised without religion. Am I a, you know, a hedonist who wants to, you know, worship Satan and murder everybody? Sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah. And you know, there's a lot of religious people who are fucking bastards. So yeah, I would like that argument to go away. Yeah, but it won't. I mean, watch. I'll give. I mean, let's at this point, let's just see how many years it takes when the theaters are back in full swing for some other extreme round of horror to come out and people to start bitching again. Oh, it's the game we play. Yeah, <laughs> the life we live as horror fans. We got to deal with the backlash all the fucking time. Um, professor, I liked. Professor Brian Oblivion, just the name o- Oblivion, like it's fucking Irish. <laughs> that was ridiculous, but funny. <coughs> I didn't even catch that name until the second viewing. <laughs> first time I watched it, right past my head. And let me point out, my first time watching this was only a couple years ago. Um, me too. Yeah, so somehow it passed my head. And then this time I watched it, I was like, oh shit, his last name is Oblivion. <laughs> I get it. Well, I thought it was wild, his prediction that we would all have our own television names, that we'd have our own identity we live through uh, the screen, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> How cra- like, I thought this film was very weird in the accuracy of its predictions. Yeah, it's, it's a social commentary and a critique and all this stuff that, to me, is why the film's aged so well, mm-hmm. is that it is still sharp it is so very on point and relevant to how we are living our lives today you could argue there are people that for like our better all they do is they are appointed tv and movies and we are like that's just to an almost creepy level like yeah 
Well, the people who, you know, have their YouTube name and hide, you know, make horrific comments because they're anonymous, like that's their screen identity. That's who they are on the computer. It's exactly what Professor Oblivion was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'd even go a step further, you know, Max Ren's whole concept of this channel that shows sex and violence and shit you can't get anywhere else. That's HBO. I was about to say, like, that's the movie channel. So that's... That's, you know, 10 years later, you got fucking HBO. It's, HBO so, came out with the idea of like, oh, we can show you the shit that our channels can't. Yep. Yeah. Way ahead of time. Um, so the first time this TV set kind of comes alive and Max just like shoves his head in the screen. Uh, that's a hell of a visual. <laughs> and uh, creepy as shit. Just like kind of a fleshy television. It's yeah, the, the constant like the flesh, the fleshy special effects are creepy looking. Just the word flesh. I don't like that word. It's uncomfortable. So, so like moist for females, you don't like flesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moist flesh is about the most uncomfortable thing you can say. Oh, I'm saying moist flesh as often as possible now. Ugh. We get t-shirts made up. Just, just say moist flesh, film gas on the back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the most famous thing I think to come out of this movie is the vaginal slit. The that, stomach vagina. Yeah, that just pops up on James Woods and he handles it extremely well. Just kind he of does, starts actually, Yeah, mostly I do have it in my notes as stomach vagina. It's too inappropriate. I wrote vaginal slit, trying to be a little bit more, I don't know, professional, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're dealing with me. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ugh. But he, he just starts learned. going to town on that thing. Just starts like, I don't know if he's feeling that. Well, he goes to town and then he takes the, the one, the, uh, the hand with the gun and puts it down. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do the one with the, with the gun? Do the free hand. You got nothing to lose with the free hand. And then he doesn't pull the gun out. The gun's just in him for a good chunk of the movie. And the vagina silts itself. And that's supposed to be his, like, his tape deck, <laughs> which is really weird. Yeah. Um, you know, out of context, talking about this stomach vagina scene, if no one pays attention to this being about an actual movie, someone's going to be like, what kind of porn are these guys watching? Uh, no, no, not that. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a goddamn version of that out there. I'm talking about the actual movie. I don't know if I could handle a video drum porn parody. I don't, I don't think I could. <laughs> I don't think anyone can, but you know it exists. Yeah, I bet James Woods is probably in that too. Oh, well, I don't need to see James Wood doing the deed. We already had to see his ass in this movie. Um. The big reveal that Harlan works for Barry Convex and this whole thing is like a videodrome is a signal created by the federal government to create brainwashed assassins. Why? Okay, I see where you're coming from. But again, I like it because if you pay attention to how some people are with their political leanings nowadays, it is not too far off how people think nowadays. I'm not going to name names of people I know. You know, they probably don't listen to this podcast. Oh, no. I've trimmed my inner circle. <laughs> but, uh, you know what, fuck it. My parents currently only watch ultra-conservative TV. They do not watch TV. And they went on to be thinking about how they want to have TV because the liberals control media and blah, blah, blah. So, I get where you're coming from. It is a weird turn. But it works for me because just having to listen to them and other people are very like ultra ultra conservative it's not far from what people think a lot of people have this idea that we are getting brainwashed through tv by the government and i'm like i don't know i don't think they have that kind of time (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't like what what could possibly what am i gonna watch that's gonna convince me to kill somebody i don't know look i'm 28 it hasn't worked yet all right they're not trying hard enough (laughs) yeah it's just a weird you know it goes from like weird pirated tv signal of people getting whipped to 
national conspiracy to create a, an army of assassins. It's it's a big leap, real quick. Yes, like I said, I I do see where you're coming from, I, but again, it does not bother me just because of how I have seen people act about TV nowadays, mm-hmm. and you know our recent past year has seen people kind of come out of the woodworks on their political leanings and how they're acting about media and certain parties, this and that. And it, I can go with it just because of how the times are now. Yeah. Well, I did like that the film kind of shows you that regardless of what side you're on, everyone has an agenda. Convex wants to rule. Oblivion wants to rule. And they're all kind of pulling Max in the middle to be their toy. Yes, and that's oddly enough how I well I can actually I'm starting to feel like Max in my own life, uh, but um, yeah, and that's again going back you know why it's so relevant today because that's you know get a little real that's how I feel when I'm hearing my parents talk about their stuff and my own personal you know beliefs and it's like you know you guys are saying this but then they're probably saying this like what it's like you guys maybe if you got out of your party asses here yeah. pay attention you would see that you're both really just saying the same fucking thing well especially these days it's hard to really find facts anymore because everybody spins everything it's so difficult to find what really happened in any possible situation and even back then in you know videodrome that comes up you know who's telling the truth here who's really using who we don't yeah. know at the end you know. you know who's really behind this killing convex didn't change anything Videodrome's yeah. still going to happen. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, you have, you know, with Videodrome, you have Oblivion, you know, he wants what he wants, or I guess technically his daughter, you know, told us his daughter, you know, wants, just continuing to want what he wants. And then, you know, uh, the eyeglass people, I'm forgetting names, sorry, are wanting what they want. And yeah, he was telling the truth. Which side's right, which side's wrong? We don't know. And you're seeing that now with today's politics, really. You know, the... You know, Republicans spend their story summary to make the liberals look bad, and liberals spend their their story summary to make the fucking Republicans look bad. And it's like, okay, where's the truth in between your fucking yarn spinning? Well, it got you know, it got so bad that a fucking global pandemic became a political issue. Like, there is nothing they can't that can't be turned into a political issue these days, and it's fucking exhausting. It, the the pandemic, the vaccines that people were saying we won't go back to normal, so vaccines are that's somehow becoming political issues was exactly what people wanted. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Side note, why the hell was Convex selling eyeglasses? Like, did that have any like anything to do with the grand plan? Storefront, probably. You know, like how the mafia has fronts. He's the fe- he's the FBI. He's the federal government. They don't need a storefront. <laughs> uh, you don't know that. <laughs> It was just an odd little thing that kind of didn't like work with the rest of the plan. Like maybe that's just like his, you know, his thing. Like it works. His job is video drone, but his passion is eyeglasses. <laughs> He's just in too deep with video drone already, but he really just wants eyeglasses. <laughs> we yeah, I would love a movie about like a diabolical villain who really just wants to like, you know, open a bookstore or something, but is in too deep to stop. <laughs> that would be great <laughs> oh boy um why does harlan explode i mean oh because it was that was a grenade on his hand that was a grenade yeah it was like it was a literal actual hand grenade like cronberg taking like the term hand grenade and making it literal as hell i just assumed that the the vagina ate his hand I didn't realize that was a grenade. My mistake. Yeah. That's why I actually really like that scene. Because it's like, oh, as soon as it did, I was like, huh, hand grenade. I got it. Dude, if I was the, you know, the government puppet who was ordered to put tapes in people, I don't know if I would want to put the squishy tape into the people's, like, and isn't that a hallucination? Well, that's that's the thing, though, is at one point, I would say the point when he puts that thing on his face, Mm-hmm. To me, that's like the movies where they're saying, "All right, is it a hallucination or not?" Like the movies even asking you, "Like, is it or not?" You tell us because if you notice, you never see him. I don't think you see him really take it off, right? No, you don't. Yeah, you don't, you don't see him take it off. 
So is he hallucinating all this shit at the end of the movie from that point onward? And then remember what he says to him? After you take it off, you're going to be slipping in and out of hallucinations for a bit. It just comes with it. Maybe. Maybe the bullet in the head at the end is him taking off the mask. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting angle. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, his weird fleshy hand, like his gun flipper. That's, yeah, that looked gnarly. What the fuck is that? Like, I don't I know. I like that the... visual of like the tubes coming out of the gun and like lodging into his flesh. That was really well done. But then he's got like, it looks like a fucking flipper. Well, I like how it looked like his own flesh was growing over the gun. It was almost to me like a literal metaphor of like flesh and um, technology becoming one. It's the new flesh. The new flesh, right? Again, going back to what his social contract is for that movie, you're seeing quite literally the ex- most extreme literal version of our obsession with technology in our own bodies. You mean like how every human being on Earth has a, an extension of their hand now? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, our phones, but even beyond that, the fucking smartwatches that iPhone does, you know? Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Cronenberg really was ahead of his time with that. That that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this movie, like, if you really like, pay like, I I I I'm not downing your like opinion on me, but if like, you really pay attention, like, a lot of his points are so oddly relevant to today, and I, it obviously wasn't his attention. Like, he didn't have a fucking glass, you know, crystal ball that he was looking into in '83. It's just how it happened. Like he made this really great movie, and it just stood the test time because our technology and shit. Well, he might have been a little bit. You know, I don't think it was entirely an accident. I mean, in the eighty, you know, in the eighties, technology was booming. It was like cell phones were starting to become a thing. Like there's giant, you know, like fucking giant military walkie-talkie cell phones. Oh yeah, those Those were a thing. Television was becoming like bigger and more, you know, accessible and really like a huge influence on all our lives. So it's not crazy that that stuff influenced Videodrome and he could kind of figure out logically the next step. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. This is why we have the podcast to go through these various, you know, different ways to look at these films. Yeah, especially a film like this, it really is open for, to me, like a lot of discussion. That's like most of Cronenberg's like career, honestly, like most of his world films you can really discuss, but I think this one are the most because it is his most, to me, like I said earlier, at the very top, like I guess top of the hour, if you will, with his sophistication and maturation, his most thought-provoking yeah. film that he really wants you to like think about what he's showing you funny because you know next week and we'll speak more about this at the end but next week we are going to be continuing this theme of you know man's over dependence on technology and you know the intertwine intertwining nature of that weird how we kind of timed that huh yeah i didn't realize that till now (laughs) um last thing i want to talk about with the film is convex's death which is gruesome and uh Dude gets shot, dude explodes, nobody seems to bat an eye. Why does is that another hallucination though? Like, why does he explode into tumors? And see, I to me, was he a hallucination, or was he so deep into video drone and his own hallucinations and shit that he became he like you know, we've seen with the handgun, right? That's true. That was like his version of flesh and technology. He became cancer. Yeah. And that he was literally, you know, literally exploding from the inside because he got killed. So now the flesh and technology is separating and you can't take it. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I don't. It's it's a cool fucking visual. Like the effects on that are fucking. Yeah. Like besides like the stunning vagina are some of the film's best. I will never knock Cronenberg's eye for makeup and visual effects like the dude is lights out when it comes to body horror uh um, he is the king of body horror yeah he is uh here are some film guys and facts for videodrome number one andy warhol called the movie the clockwork orange of the 80s which yeah i can see that i get it uh, 
Number two, the videotapes used in the film are Betamax. This is because VHS cassettes were too large to fit into the vaginal slit. They needed a smaller tape, so Betamax. <laughs> you mean the one that if you ask your parents what was better, they'll tell you Betamax in a heartbeat? The HD DVD of the 80s. <laughs> it, dude, like, have you ever done that? Like, ask uh, any listeners, ask your parents if you have it. What was better, VHS and Betamax? They will tell you Betamax. It's so funny. It's like without a heartbeat, like no pause, anything, just Betamax. Oh, my because family's been on the opposite side of that, sh- of like, you know, on the wrong side of technology their whole life. My dad had a Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Well, I, in this one, I get, but I heard was that, like, from what I've been told is that, yeah, Betamax looked a hell of a lot better than VHS, but VHS had a bigger marketing push and more um, movies attached to put out. So they were just like, there was just more of it. The quantity was there with VHS. There you go. Sometimes that's all it takes. Um, number three, an epilogue was planned, but never filmed. In it, Max, uh, Bianca, and Nikki Brand appear on the set of Videodrome. Bianca and Nikki are shown to have uh, the vaginal slits on their chest from which emerge strange mutated sex organs. Uh, This concept was apparently used in Rabid. The scene was scrapped along with many others due to cost overruns, bad timing, and the sheer difficulty of executing such a special effects scene. A number of other ambitious special effects sequences were also dropped. And in regards to bad timing, Debbie Harry had the stomach flu and James Woods was visiting family. So it just didn't work out. So they cut a lot of visuals from this film just for timing and cost purposes. God, I want to know what that cut would have looked like. Yeah. Hashtag release the Cronenberg cut. Now that's a hashtag trend I can get behind. Sorry, Snyder fans. Fuck your Snyderverse. I said it. I'll fucking, I don't care about the hole in that one. I will dig deeper and deeper on that. I'm not biting simply because I made a promise on Army of the Dead that I would stop talking about Zack Snyder for quite some time. I got you to say the name, though. I'll say the name, but I'm not biting a conversation. I just I don't care. I'm done. I'm done. It's too much. It's too much. (laughs) Um, I give Videodrome a seven. It's It's too weird for me. I'm sorry. I applaud its fantastic visuals and makeup, but it's Difficult to follow at times, to me, does not make a whole lot of sense. I like the social commentary, but in regards to story, it, there's some holes and some major leaps, and I just can't get behind that. So, seven. Okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I give it an eight. I do think it's one of Chromebook's best. I know I'm saying that, but I haven't seen a lot of his films. What I've seen, I put it up there in, like, my top five. Um, uh, I, I love the social commentary. I like the story. I like that he does uh, ask, put the questions on you. He doesn't give you clear-cut answers. He wants you to actually think for yourself yeah. and be like, where do I stand on what he's given me here? I really enjoy that. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Uh, James Wood is fantastic in this movie. Really knocks it out of the park. Um, and yeah, the practical effects are probably some Cronenberg's best. So um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, straight up. And, you know, I'm glad you were able to see something here that I that I was not. Um, that happens a lot. I feel okay, it's, it happens a lot. <laughs> I acknowledge that. I haven't hated all you know 141 movies we've done on this damn show. I there's yeah. I like most of them. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like you know you watch something that Josh recommends like Sleep Break Camp and Hatchet and magically you love it. To be fair, you did not recommend Videodrome to me. I had seen this. That is true, too. I think I have recommended Hatchet to you a couple of times. And who had a great time doing Jurassic Park? We did. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag like Friday 13. All right. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week, Austin will be returning to Filmgasm to join Caleb and I in discussing a recent gem that we all love. In the near future, a paralyzed technophobe is implanted with a state-of-the-art computer chip that rearranges his entire life and allows him to take revenge on the people who killed his wife. All this and more in the 2018 sci-fi action horror epic Upgrade next week. Very excited. Uh, Lee Winnell's, like, in my opinion, his true 
directorial debut. Huh. I was going to say, yeah, he did, I think, a movie or two before that. I know Insidious, Chapter 3, I want to say Cuties. Wasn't it 4? Was it it three 4. I have to. I'll relook it up in time for this podcast uh, for this episode. Um, but yeah, as far as like the style that he's known for, mm-hmm. this was his debut. Like this is when he became to me writer director. Leo now. Yes, and it's been a it's been a minute since I watched Upgrade. I saw it at the movies and thought it was fantastic, and I haven't watched it since. So this will be a good revisit, and it'll be cool to see you know all three of us take this one on together. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times because I show people that maybe as much as I can. I fucking love Upgrade. <laughs> uh, don't miss that next week, as well as From Here to Eternity on Oscar Sunday and Pixar's Luca on Monday's sneak preview. Until then, don't watch any scrambled masochistic TV signals. Death to Videodrome, Long Live the New Flesh, and keep watching movies. Mm-hmm.